everyone. Welcome back to I've Been Thinking with your host, Brietta. That's me. I'm excited because we are trucking along with season two of the podcast. And you all know that my favorite thing in the world is to introduce you to people who I think are on a journey of expression, whether it's artistically or professionally or personally, that we can find inspiration from, that we can find maybe some tips and tricks on how to navigate our lives a little bit better, but mostly just people that I think that you're going to love and enjoy. And I found Stephanie Gowdy on Instagram. We connected there. And as you know, Instagram is the place where I connect with most people. And she is an amazing visual artist that goes by the name A Lyrical. She was born and raised in South Florida. And as an artist, A Lyrical works with acrylics on canvas, along with mixed media graphite and charcoal on paper for portraits. Now, she's had some struggles in her life, as we all have. She's been diagnosed with epilepsy. She's gone through a divorce. And she's legally blind as an artist, but a lyrical still continues to use her inner vision to live out her purpose as an artist. And she really believes that art is for everyone. And she's really big on creating awareness for multiple topics to bring society together. And one of the things that I love about her bio that she shared is that she just absolutely refuses to let her life setbacks or health issues or the loss of her sight stop her from sharing her vision and inspiring others to follow their dreams. And if there's nothing that you hear today that's inspirational, I think that that's it. So I'm so excited to have a lyrical here on the podcast. A lyrical, say hi to everyone. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You make my bio sound amazing. I try. I try. That's like my one job to get it right. So hopefully I did a good job. I feel so good. It's one of those weird things. Like sometimes you hear your bio and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I like what I hear right. about like, that. I was listening like, I that. yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. That's I know I covered a lot of things in the bio, but certainly tell the audience a little bit more about who you are as an artist. I know that you work with several different mediums, but just tell people a little bit more about who you are as an artist and sort of what inspires you artistically. Any and everything inspires me, honestly. I'm one of those people that look at the world and kind of just take from it and whatever I get gets put on a canvas. I'm a single mom of two. And so in between raising those little ones, I am painting and creating most of my time. But um, somebody else actually pointed this out to me that a lot of my art expresses emotions that are hard for people to vocalize, especially my portraits that I do. A lot of them definitely express things that are hard for people to communicate. And I will admit I'm not a great communicator, so I do it through my art. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who works in the creative space, whether you are an artist by trade, whether you are a performer or a writer or a singer, there is that part where, and I just had a, an interview the other day with a fellow creator and she said it so well, she's like, your art is language, right? It's literally the way that you can communicate. And so it doesn't surprise me that that's a medium that you're using to sort of communicate to the world around you. I know one of the things that you mentioned is that you are legally blind. So tell us a little bit about sort of how and when that happened and how you are navigating that as an artist. 
Um, okay, so years ago now, um, back in 2012, my ex-husband, he thought I was squinting all the time. And he was like, why don't you wear glasses? So I was like, oh. So he was like, we're taking you to go get glasses. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I literally went into the um, opticianist and they looked at me, you know, they do their standard tests or whatever. And the actual opticians came in and said to me, I can't help you. You're going to go blind. And I was kind of like, what? Wow. <laughs> um, that's literally what he said. And then he walked out. And then somebody else came in and was like, you have keratoconus and you're going to end up going blind eventually. We can't help you. You have to see a specialist. And then they walked out. And then they were like, that's the end of your appointment type thing. And they left. Wow. And I remember when I walked out, my ex was like, why is your appointment over so quick? What are you doing? And I literally couldn't say a word. Of course. I just walked out of the building. And as soon as I walked out of the building, like I broke down. I saw a specialist in Miami and I had a laser surgery that basically was to stop my eyes from getting any worse than they already were. So luckily with that surgery, I won't go completely blind like many do with the disease. But my eyesight is absolutely awful. I can't drive or any of those things. Somehow God has blessed me and I'm still able to create. I do my best and I get very, very close to the paper and I um, do what I can and I'm still able to create. And I'm very grateful that I'm able to. It's amazing to hear that with a diagnosis like that, which for anyone would be difficult, but especially as an artist, I can imagine how emotional that must be to think that there's a potential for you to not be able to do the thing right. that you love doing. And so the fact that you are still expressing yourself despite some of those challenges, I think is just amazing. I'm curious from your perspective, how emotionally did you get to the place where you were strong enough to say that despite whatever happens, I'm still going to continue? to do what I love doing? How did you emotionally get to that place? I think that part was a lot harder, especially because when I first got diagnosed, I was living in DC. I had just moved to DC and um, my mother works in the medical field. So she thought it would be best for me to come here. And she had found the perfect specialist. He's like one of the top people for my disease. And I had a very good friend who literally wouldn't let me get depressed. She was like, we're not doing this. She literally picked me up every morning. We went to Starbucks or wherever and just hung out all day. She worked on her things and I did artwork, but it was completely different than any of artwork I had ever done because it was just colors and I'm used to doing black and white. Because to a certain extent, at one point, color was all I could see. I couldn't differentiate between lines and things like that because everything was such a blur. So she pushed me through that and people's feedback pushed me to be able to continue. Like, you have to keep doing this. Like, to a certain extent, it was almost like this is who you are and you can't give up who you are just because of something a doctor said. It's such a powerful place to get to of both acceptance and then also not just sort of overlooking the challenge, but like letting that fuel you, right? Letting that fuel what you're doing. And, you know, a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast is authenticity as an artist, as a creator. And I'm curious for you, you're navigating, you know, some very unique 
things, right? Like you have obviously some physical challenges that you're navigating. You went through a divorce. You're also a person of color. You're also, you know, a single mom. So there's a lot of things that you're sort of juggling in your identity. And I'm just curious, how do you show up as an artist authentically? I'm always curious about how people are bringing their whole selves into their work. How are you doing that? I think for artists in general, it's a difficult question, especially if that's kind of your full-time thing, because there's so many times that artists lose their authenticity because they're trying to make sure their work is marketable so that they can live off of it and make money and that kind of stuff. And that's where I think a lot of artists lose their authenticity. And I mean, I'm a victim of it. I've done it. And I know for a very long time, I did it because growing up, I had mental health issues. I suffer from depression. I had very low self-esteem. So I definitely wanted work that was going to be accepted by everybody. So I did what I thought they would accept. Now, as I've gotten older, I think especially now that I've had my own children and I don't want them to think that way, I want them to be able to be unapologetically them. So I now create whatever's on my heart. Like if it speaks to me, I'm creating it. There was actually a piece that I did recently and it was a remake of an old piece that I did and it had to deal with the injustice of Black men or Blacks in general, but Black men in America. It's basically a a man with the American flag is covering his mouth, but it looks like the face still is painted through it. The reference photo that I did for the second one I did was a cousin of mine and it took me forever to finish that piece. Because every time I looked at it, because it was my cousin, it just triggered me. And now I have a son who's going to grow up to be a Black man. And it triggers me to think like he could literally be going to the grocery store one day and something happens, he encounters a police officer and he ends up getting shot or something crazy. Like those are the things that I thought about every time I looked at it. And I just it took me months. It usually I can usually finish a piece in a day or two. And it took me months to finish that piece because I just couldn't look at it. It's really interesting because one of the things that I love about being an artist or being a creative is that you really are the storytellers for your time, right? Like much in the same way we look at art from centuries ago or times past, those people were articulating what was happening at the time. And so I don't know all the time that creatives or artists really look at themselves that way, but we're really capturing the moment, right? And there will be future generations who will look at it and piece together sort of what this period of time was about based on the art that was created, the books that were written, the songs that were sung. And so you mentioned the piece sort of exploring what it means to be a Black man in this country at this time. And, you know, there's just so many conversations happening about race and about equity and about social justice. And I know for myself as an artist that, yes, there is a commercial part to what you do, but there is this part that is sort of like art slash activism, right? Like how do you express the truth of what it means to be a person of color in this country at this time? And it sounds like you're exploring that through your work, but I'm just curious for you as a woman of color in this space, what does that feel like to try to capture what's happening in this moment, both for yourself, for the people around you that you care about? What does that feel like to try to express that through your art? I think that 
it can be very difficult. That's why I definitely appreciate there are certain groups that I'm a part of for women of color, because I feel like as bad as it sounds, when people think of artists, especially female artists, a lot of the times they think of white women and white women creating, and those are the ones who are popular and who are successful, quote unquote, successful in the industry. And that's not fair and it's not right. I know plenty of Black women, especially ones that I've met through the organization that I'm a part of, they're phenomenal. (laughs) And they don't get the recognition because they're Black. So people just don't pay attention to their work or because their work is angled and anchored more towards people of color. Those are the skin tones they use and things like that. They feel like everybody can't like it. So I'm not going to share it. I can't share it because... It's not for me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said that because when you are creating art that is centered in your experience, especially as a person of color, it automatically means from a commercial standpoint that it's less mainstream because people are thinking that it's niche because of the skin color that you're using or sort of the the manifestation of the art. And it's very hard for like the mainstream consumer to see, quote, Black art as just art, right? Like it becomes niche in that way. And I do see that when you center the Black experience in your artwork, all of a sudden it becomes difficult because now you're negotiating this idea of like, will the masses enjoy it? Right. And that's something that goes on consistently. I remember, I mean, I've been blessed to have some very big art shows and and be a part of some big museums. But I remember, especially when I first started, when museums did reach out to me to exhibit, it would always be like, oh, it's Black History Month. Do you want to participate? Or we're doing an exhibition to show off African-Americans. Would you like to participate? It was never, we're having a regular show and I like your work, but you want to be a part of it. Right. So I think that that definitely plays a big role in it and the exposure that we get. You know, something that you mentioned that I think is so key, you said that you're a part of groups of other women of color or people of color who are artists. And I just have found over, you know, several episodes now and just in life in general, that the key to survival is finding community, right? Like you have to find, you have to find your tribe, you have to find your people who can help you sort of have a gut check about it because it is really difficult to, you know, walk the path of authenticity when the world around you is telling you that it's not, you know, always acceptable or it's not a part of the mainstream. So finding community is so important. I'm curious for you in this community that you found and that that are supporting you, are you all discussing ways that you all can sort of work together to help support or promote or push forward more artists of color? Is that a conversation you guys are having? Yes, there have been conversations about it. The group is called Black Women Who Paint. But of course, there's more than just painters. It's just, you know, artists who are Black women in the group. And they definitely are about exposure and pushing things to help you to push your career. And they do workshops and all kinds of things to help with the exposure of each and every one of us. And that's definitely something we've discussed because they have monthly meetings and workshops and things like that. And we discuss all of those things. 
The thing that I like about what you said is sort of this idea of having people who can help you fill in the gaps, right, of the things that you know or don't know, right? And I think we all need that. We all need someone who's like, you're really great at this, and I'm really great at that. Let me help you understand this part of the business, or let me help you understand, you know, how to price your art the right way, or like how to market your work the right way. Like, we need all of those necessary voices and support. You know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are sort of in the beginning stages of their career, right? Like really trying to negotiate. How do I find my place? How do I, you know, be who I am and do the thing that I love? And so I wanted to ask you, what are some of the ways that you have found to be successful for yourself to be like who you are, and to have a career that you love? What are some of the tips or the, or the tricks or the things that you've learned along the way that have helped you navigate that? One of the main things I think that I've learned, and because I'm not a major artist, but you know, this is what I do, is consistency, which I know can be very hard for artists. It was hard for me. It still is something I struggle with sometimes because you know, some people, artists, they can just create to create. Like, give me a piece of paper, let's do it. I'm a very emotional person. So my emotions are connected to my art. And if I'm not feeling it, I'm not creating it right now. Like, I just can't. And that goes into consistency and to be able to, I mean, as much, like I said, marketing yourself on Instagram and things like that. If I don't have anything to post, then I'm not marketing myself like if I'm not creating. So as bad as it sounds, but that consistency will push you to get more work. And honestly, when you start being consistent, you want to continue to create more. I pushed myself to tell myself that I was going to create almost every day for like a month. I didn't successfully do it every day, but I did it way more than I ever had. And I got so many different opportunities from not only creating, but sharing my experience of creating on social media, that it opened so many doors and it made me want to be more consistent on a regular basis. Yeah. The Instagram sort of idea of sharing not just your work, but the process of your work, I think is so key because I think that artists are preconditioned to be perfectionists. And we don't like to share things until we feel good about it, right? Juggling that is really hard, especially if you're creating something. I know, for example, if you're a writer, you don't want to share anything until like it's done and you feel good about it. Or if you're a songwriter, you don't want to share it until you feel like it's in a good place. But I do feel that especially when you find some of these places like Instagram, I think it's such a great platform for this where you can really share the journey of creating. Like, what does it feel like to get up, as you said, every single day and commit to creating something, to doing the work and being comfortable enough to share it in its unfinished state is something that even I have found difficult. You know, as a singer, as a writer, you don't want to just put things out there that you don't feel like are the best representation of you. But I've also found that it puts a lot of pressure on yourself and it takes away the joy of creating, right? Like, and to your point, I think a lot of artists and creatives can respond to the fact that emotion drives creativity. And so feeling good about the work that you're doing is so necessary. So I know that you have an Instagram page. 
tell people a little bit about what they're going to find when they follow you, because I'm encouraging everyone to follow her on Instagram. Tell people a little bit about what they're going to find on your Instagram page. So there's a combination of things on my Instagram page. I like to help inspire and motivate other artists. I actually am in the process of getting ready to do a mentorship with students, but you'll find all kinds of things. Um, There's my artwork and the process of my artwork. Because I feel like as to what you were saying, when you post the process, it makes you more relatable to people. I'm very open. I talk about any and everything in my posts, um, especially when it comes to creating and what my thought process was while I was creating it. You will also see a lot of pictures of my two little people. (laughs) We love that. We love pictures of the little ones. (laughs) But yeah, that you'll definitely see a lot of motivational, inspirational things. I post a lot of those, especially in my stories and the process of my artwork and finished pieces and just trying to inspire everybody to be able to do what they love. As you said, um, despite my setbacks, I've pushed forward to try to do what I want to do. And I want everybody to be in that place. You know, everybody says successful. I read a quote earlier and it said, success is being able to do what you want, how you want and feeling good about it. I love that definition so much because this is a conversation that I have been navigating with people for well over a year now, especially as a creative and especially as a, you know, creatives who come into the space with some challenges and some disadvantages when you come from either a marginalized community or you have, you know, specific challenges. What does success really look like? Right. Like, and I, so I love that definition because I think that the more you do. And the longer you stay in the game of creating, performing, or business, whatever it is, your definition starts to shift and change because, listen, while you certainly want to be able to build a career that's financially stable and you want to be able to support yourself and have sort of the financial material things that you like, the freedom part is, for me, the non-negotiable. I have learned over the years that while there may be opportunities that may propel me financially, that may position me, you know, for an upward onward track, if it doesn't come with the freedom to bring my full self to the experience, if I don't feel as though I can be fully myself as a woman, fully myself as a person of color, fully myself with my values, with the things that I think are important, that if I can't bring that to the work, that to me is not successful. And so I think that negotiating that takes time, right? Like you have to you have to feel okay with being in that place. But I just love that definition that you shared. And you mentioned something that I don't want to skip over. You said that you're currently thinking about mentorship for young artists. I love that idea. What is that about? So an organization actually reached out to me. They're called Diversify Our Narrative. And then they have a portion of that organization called Diversify Our Art. And they pushed for the school curriculum in high schools to be changed, especially with art classes, to amplify and discuss and discover more about injustice, social injustice and things like that. And they reached out to me after seeing the painting I was just telling you about and asked me if I wanted to be a mentor. They said they have a plethora of students and of art students and they would like 
for different um, artists to mentor them. And I agreed to it. So they're still in the process of picking which student I will mentor and that kind of thing. But yeah, that's the next step. The reason why I didn't want to skip over it is mentoring and mentorship are literally my favorite things. I just think it's so invaluable to be able to both, you know, aspire to move up while certainly helping pulling people up with you and to be able to share insight, give guidance, be someone's cheerleader, but, but also give them the tips and the tricks that help them navigate some of the pitfalls that, you know, maybe you and I navigated in our way up to sort of help them bypass some of those hurdles along the journey, I just think is such an important thing. And I also really think it's it's necessary for young artists who check a box other than white or check a box other than male or check a box other than, you know, coming with any other sort of privilege because despite talent, right, which talent is allocated as it is, people come and they have certain gifts and abilities, but opportunities are not always equitable. Right. So a really great mentor of mine says this all the time. He's like, talent is given freely, but opportunity isn't. Right. And so this idea of helping people sort of bridge the gap and identify more opportunities for themselves, I think is really important. But it also begs the question about some of the things that maybe they will have to navigate that you've navigated when it comes to bias, right, in the field. Of art. I know as a performer, there's certainly bias about, you know, what does a leading lady look like? You know, what does the star of the movie look like? And it's typically not, you know, a brown skinned person or any of those things. Do you feel like there's bias in, in sort of the art world? And, and what does that look like for you? I definitely think there's bias. There's bias in almost anything. But, you know, how I mentioned earlier, when you think female artists, they automatically think of a white woman. And I think that that takes away from, like I said, there's so many women of color that I know and I've seen that are extremely talented, but they just don't get that recognition and that acknowledgement because, again, that goes back to things that we paint and it kind of gets segregated right away because we're using brown colors instead of white skin tones and things like that. So it's not for us. It's really funny because I'm not an artist in that realm. So it's a world I'm not totally familiar with. But as you're saying that, it completely makes sense to me, right? Like it completely makes sense that there would be a barrier for more acceptance of Black artists who are centering the Black experience in their work. Like that, of course, makes sense to me. I'm curious then for you, And for other artists who are navigating that space, what then do you feel is the alternative? Like, how do you bridge that gap? Is it about really trying to push into those spheres? Is it about maybe creating separate platforms that center Black art? Like, have you thought about maybe ways to address some of those gaps? I would love to help bridge that gap. Many of the shows that I've done when they're in quote unquote white galleries, it's like when it's Black History Month. And to them, that is bridging the gap. But to me, that's not good enough. Yeah, I get that. So it's hard to try to to bridge that gap and, and bring things together. I mean, I'm in more than one group and I'm in a group that has predominantly white people. But I will tell you, I don't get a lot of feedback or recognition in, when I'm in it. So it makes it very difficult. So of course, I gravitate towards 
groups with women of color and um, people of color, because I know they're actually going to take the time to look at what I'm doing and the feedback and that kind of thing. So it's very, very difficult. I mean, I haven't conquered it myself yet because it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's so interesting to me that that exploration of finding validation of finding synergy with fellow artists who are not people of color, that it seems to translate to every space, right? Like I've experienced it in, in sort of my artistic realm. And so everything that you're saying feels very familiar to me, right? Even though it's sort of a different world that you're in. I'm curious then, so you're, you have this group that you're in that are other women of color, that are other artists, Tell me about some of the things that you guys talk about that bring you joy, that make you excited, that make you happy about the work that you're doing. Because I know that, or at least I believe that in order to like navigate the world, we have to seek out joy as much as possible and just like hang on to that. So are there things right now that you are just excited about, energized by, that make you excited to delve into your work and what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, outside of the group, um, the group, I mean, of course, gives me a lot of feedback and motivation, which definitely makes me want to create more. I mean, if you create something and then someone's like, that's awesome. You're like, I should do more. (laughs) So that's definitely helpful. But I think, you know, since I I told you I did that challenge to um, challenge myself to consistently create and things like that, as I said, it opened so many doors for me and it made me so excited to create more like I mean me being on your podcast and the fact that the organization reached out to me about being a mentor and I I mean I got a few other emails from people wanting me to take part in different things and I'm really excited about it and where it may take me. What I took away from that which I really really love is like because it's one of my favorite quotes it's like feel the fear do it anyway Right. And so I love the idea that you're sort of like tackling those things that make you a little nervous, that make you a little scared, that make you a little uneasy. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to do it anyway. I remember I had like one of my past New Year's resolutions. I think I'm at the point in my life where I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore. I'm just like, thank God I survived to another year. Like, (laughs) I'll take that. But, (laughs) but I hear you. But yeah, one of the past years, I remember that one of my New Year's resolutions was I was going to make a list of things that terrified me and scared me. And I was just going to try to do it, right? Like just really do that. And in that year, I moved to a different state by myself. Like I made new friends. I, you know, harnessed different opportunities. And honestly, the biggest thing that I learned from that was that, you know, the opportunities were great. The experiences were great. They certainly pushed my career. Like all of those things were beneficial. But I tell you, the the number one thing that I learned was to not be afraid of fear, right? Like that fear is not a bad thing, right? Like you, you feel it and you get all paralyzed. You're like, oh my God, I'm terrified. And that must mean that like, I shouldn't do this or that this is the wrong thing to do. And it's like, no, fear is energy, that's just trapped, that it's trying to get out, right? And so by doing it, fear sort of loses its power over you. So I love the idea of you sort of exploring some of these other things that you're doing, i.e. being on the podcast, which I'm so happy that you said yes. And like some of the other things that you're doing, I think that's amazing. What are some of the, in that same vein, like I think that that's something tangible that someone listening right now could take away and say, you know what? 
if they're going to challenge some of their fears and some of the things that, that they don't feel certain about, maybe that's something that I can do as well. What are some other things that if we have a young artist right now who's listening to this podcast, what are some of the other things that you would say to them? Like, here's a tip or a trick to navigate the world that you're in right now. It sounds so basic, but just do it. Like, it's Nike's little thing, but that's the truth. (laughs) It is. Just do it. I stopped creating for a very, very long time and didn't do anything. And then one day someone spoke to me about a show and they were like, I heard that you're an artist. You want to be a part of it. And they were kind of like, yeah. And I literally, I mean, this was years ago. I was broke as can be, couldn't even afford to buy canvases, but they were like, you just want to exhibit in the show. I literally found old pieces of cardboard painted on the cardboard and was in the show. And it was great. Like, despite whatever is going on, do it, whatever you're feeling and just do it. You're right. Like when you, when someone hears that, it sounds so simple, but it's, it's literally a, the hardest thing to do and B it's the most important thing to do, right? Like you have to be able to get to a point where you're like, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks about it. I'm just going to do it. Like I tell people all the time, I had the idea to do this podcast years ago and never really did it because I always was like, well, I want it to be perfect. And I want to do this. And that means that I need to do all of these things in order. And the pandemic, actually, right at the start of the pandemic, I, like a lot of people, had tons of free time and was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Like, I'm just going to get out there. And if it's messy and if it's not great the first couple of times, I'm just going to quit telling myself no in advance and go ahead and do it. And it's true that you you find that there's power in just getting it done. And I love the idea of like being scrappy, right? Like you're an artist, you don't have money for canvas. Yeah, get some cardboard, right? Like do whatever it takes, give some computer paper, like whatever it takes in order to do that thing, you should just get out there and do it. And I think anyone listening today, that's such good advice. Like, and it it should be encouraging, right? Like just, Yeah. yeah. It all becomes part of your journey. Like- I think it's the perfect thing to do. Like I literally used cardboard and I think I, because it had to be um, hung up in the exhibition, I found string and I like glued the string to the cardboard or taped it to the cardboard. Like it it was just, just to do it. Like I was still a part of that show. And I was, after that I did multiple shows with those people and I actually was able to afford canvases after a while. But at the beginning, I couldn't do it. So I just did it with what I had. That's so good. That's such a great thing for people to take away. Like this idea of being, I always say like, sometimes we're so precious about what we want to do, right? And we we tell ourselves that there's all of these reasons why we can't do it. I don't have the money. I don't have the connections. I don't have the supplies. I don't have the resources. And it's like, those are, while valid challenges, they could also be the excuses that are stopping you from just getting out there and getting it done and realizing that we are far more critical of our stuff than other people are. Like we're the ones who are like, oh God, cardboard and everybody's going to see it and everybody's going to know it. It's like, no, people are worried about their own stuff. Everybody's got their own issues. They're, they're, <laughs> no one's paying attention to your sort of issues. So I think that that's fantastic 
that you were scrappy and you got it done. And then look, you got the opportunity to do even more shows with them. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it was really good. And I think I think that idea goes back to artist bias, like within ourselves. Yeah. A lot of artists, if you work on a project for too long, then you create your own bias in your mind that it's not good enough. I can't share this. I shouldn't finish it. All of those negative thoughts in our head that we as artists have to overcome and block out because we worked on it for too long. And I mean, the same thing happened with the piece I was talking to you earlier that triggered me. I took a really long time to do it. And at one point I was like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, I'm not going to finish it. It triggers me too much. And I made all the excuses in the world why I shouldn't do it or I could didn't have to do it, that type of thing. And I was like, stop, Stephanie, stop. <laughs> just, <laughs> just finish it. <laughs> and I mean, it did help that it was of my cousin and he knew I was doing it. And he was like, where's my painting? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. It's like, yeah, you may not want to do it, but he very much so was like, yeah, I'm waiting for my painting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. Well, you know, one of the last questions that I want to ask you is when you're looking at sort of the future for yourself as an artist, maybe even personally, what are some of the things, whether it's like for 2021 or for the next couple of years, what are some of the things that you're really looking forward to that are sort of on the horizon for you that make you sort of excited about the future moving forward? I know I've said this a lot, but just the consistency of being able to create. I, I remember I posted something on Instagram the other day and my caption said something about doing the things that make me smile on a regular basis. Yeah. I just want to do the things that make me happy and make me a better version of me. And because I've always said, when it comes to my children, I can't be great for them if I'm not great for myself. So I've got to make sure I'm good so I can be good for them. So I just want to continue to do the things that make me smile. And if they can help me financially, great. But, (laughs) you know, I just want to be able to create consistently and like, you know, I accept I paint and I do portraits as well, but I'm leaning more towards doing portraits on a regular basis because I think financially it will help me as well. Since I've started doing that, I've had more commissions in the past probably two months than I've had in my whole life. Wow. So I just want to keep the consistency with that and to continue to be able to share my gift with the world and to help inspire everybody else. You know, one of the things that you just said that made me think, I had a friend text me literally yesterday and they sent me um, a video from Jay Shetty just talking about the, the cost of doing things that you don't love and how that's a price that's too expensive. And she sent it to me. She's like, this made me think of you because that really is my, my life's ethos. I really believe, and I've, and I've said this to so many people in my life, I just really believe that the cost for me to do anything that doesn't bring me joy or that robs me of my peace or any of those things is just a price that I'm not willing to pay. It's too high and life is meant to be enjoyed. And I don't say that in sort of like a Peter Pan, just like do whatever you, you know, do whatever you want. And don't think about like, you know, I'm an adult, I'm living an adult life. I have responsibilities. I have all of those things, but you know, I am constantly sort of checking the balance of where am I with my peace, with my joy, with my fulfillment. And then I have to do an assessment of the the life that I'm living and really 
take into account what is stealing from me, what is taking away from me. And if that is happening and I can control that, then it's something that I have to do because it's just so vitally important. But I completely agree with you. And I love the idea that you're going to be spending time doing things that make you smile. I think that's such a such a beautiful way to live life. And I just wanted to say, I'm so happy that I was able to have a conversation with you on the mm-hmm. podcast. It was so much fun. Thank you so much, Alirical. Thank you. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. You helped me break one of my own fears because I will not lie to you. I was terrified about today. <laughs> Well, one thing I can definitely say is, is that you not only conquered it, you did an amazing job. I've had such a fun time talking with you. And for anyone who's listening on the podcast today, I'm going to be sharing all of Alyrical's information, um, where you can find her on Instagram, where you can find some of her artwork. And I really want you to take away from this conversation. I think, you know, this is something tangible that you can actually take away. Maybe that's the thing that you've been waiting to hear, which is, Commit yourself to doing things that just make you smile, right? Commit to doing things that challenge your fear, that challenge those areas of uncertainty. Do it anyway, chase your joy, and then trust that the financial security and all of those things will follow. And I think Alirical has definitely given us sort of a a way forward in following her example in that For everyone who's listening, I just want to thank you so, so much for joining me for another episode. I think I delivered on my promise that I always make, which is to bring you people that are going to join our community, that are going to inspire us and help us live our lives more authentically and more fully. And if you got that from this episode, then I'm just so happy. Make sure you find all of the information that we have linked in the podcast description, and I will join you all for another episode of I've Been Thinking very soon. Bye, everyone.